This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. Also via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program will be available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting with Hawthorne VFL Women's Premiership coach Patrick Hill. Also on the way, the coach of the East Coast Eagles in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, Peter Steer. We're going to check in with USAFL Media Manager Brian Barish for his preview of the Western Regionals Tournament to be played in Salem, Oregon this weekend. We also find out what's been happening in Round 1 of the AFL London Women's League Final Series with Mariana Graham. Plus our State League's wrap, checking in with the scores from the VFL Women's Competition, the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Competition, the QAFLW, plus as well a quick score check and comments from the Queensland versus WA emerging talent match that was held on the weekend. That's all coming up, but first to the reigning premiership coach in the VFR women's competition, Patrick Hill. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. It's our privilege to have on the line the head coach of Hawthorne's VFLW side in Patrick Hill. Paddy, how are you? Uh, very well, Pat, yourself? Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the line as we talk about how the uh, defence is going of the Premiership. And, and safe to say, it's been a bit of a bumpy season so far for the Hawks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's a much improved competition this year. Um, if you look across the board, um, it's a lot more even. You know, sides like Richmond and, and St Kilda have been going great guns. Obviously, they get licences this year. But, you know, even the, the improvement in Essendon, um, you know, Casey looked really strong on the weekend. Um, Melbourne Uni with the, with the North Melbourne connection and, and the players they've got in there now. Um, you know, I watched them against Richmond a couple of weeks ago and they're, they're all terrific teams. So every week's a real battle. Um, you got to play your absolute best footy. And, uh, we've done that for most of the season after, after the first couple of rounds. And, you know, we're probably, uh, a few points off, uh, having a much better record, but you've, you know, you've got to win the close ones and we haven't quite done that this year. Before we zero in on focusing on the Hawks, and it's something we've been talking about the last few weeks on air, we've seen the form of, say, for example, both the Bulldogs and Casey out of the blocks early, hit a rough patch in the middle of the season, turn it around in the last couple of weeks. And that purely yeah. comes down to the AFLW-listed players, who's coming in, who's coming out. How difficult is it to coach against sides with the <laughs> AFLW players that you don't know really what type of side's showing up week to week? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you, you've got to focus a lot on yourself and what you're doing, but but you're dead right. You don't, you don't know who you're going to cop and at different stages of the year. And, you know, I watched Melbourne Uni play against St Kilda and, um, you know, five, six weeks ago. And, you know, St Kilda was really good in that side as they've been most of the year. But Ma Melbourne Uni looked really flat. They had a, had a lot of local players playing. And then fast forward their game against Richmond last week and they, they look like world beaters and look like the best team in the competition. So, you know, depending on when, what stage of year you get and what stage their AFL players are in or even some clubs from week to week, which ones they're going to play, it, uh, it makes it tough. But um, you can only focus on what's in front of you and, um, you know, just play the best you can. 
Let's talk about some of the players that you managed to pick up even after round one being uh, added to the side. Uh, we talked about during round one how you got uh, uh, Talia Radden, then Georgia Bevan came along, then you announced the signing of Kirby Bentley. How's it been trying to use that network that you've got, particularly through Meg Hutchins, to try and reach out to these um, current or ex-AFLW players to spend at least a season at Hawthorne in the VFLW? Yeah, I mean, uh, essentially uh, our position as a club, you know, we're, we're, we're very much a standalone in that we don't don't have that AFL team and, and a draft to rely on. So we need to need to find ways to get uh, get some senior talented players into our club. And you know, we know at the end of each year we're going to lose some to the draft, and that's one of the great things that we get some girls drafted. But you, you certainly do need to get some some real talent in. And um, yeah, the, the more this competition goes on, you, you have less access to, to, to Melbourne-based players. So you really have to to look out there to, to players from interstate or players that are looking for an opportunity to get back on a list. And I suppose, you know, Meg's a, a great resource for us because she's got many contacts, but also someone like Sarah Perkins has, you know, helped get Georgia Bevan and and um, and Talia Rodan over. Um, has it, been really good. And, and I know Meg's got a, uh, you know, really good relationship with Kirby Bentley. And um, one thing, you know, about women's footy is that they they're, uh, they don't just stick to their own team. They, you know, there's... there's um, connections all over the place and you know they treat each other with courtesy and respect at all times so um, it's not too hard to build those connections and, and find those people around the around the network if I can focus on Kirby Bentley for a moment it, it's safe to say we haven't seen in recent years the best football from her because she's just been unlucky through injury. It's robbed us of it. Pre-AFLW starting, she was regarded as probably maybe the, one yeah. of the top six foot women's footballers in the country. She was an absolute jet over in WA, started in the early yeah. exhibition games, and then unfortunately the injuries came along and that hampered her career at Fremantle and Carlton. What has her impact been like so far, both on the field at Hawthorne, but also behind the scenes, considering the amount of experience she has behind her? Yeah, well, I mean, on the field, she she's still trying to get her body right. So, um, you know, we, we've tried in a couple of different uh, positions. She come off an injury plague season, so she's she's still getting conditioning there. But you know, she's got great vision and uses the ball really well, and you know, able to, to guide and, and help the players out in the field. Um, we've got her playing across half back now. We're sort of seeing her best footy starting to starting to emerge. Um, but but behind the scenes, she's just a jet. Her knowledge of the game. Um, is probably second to none in our group, and um, she's not ex- not scared to express her opinion or to ask questions and challenge the group. So you know, from day one walking to the club, we've just found her exceptional in team meetings, and um, yeah, it's really great having her here. Let's focus on a couple of players that you're obviously hoping that will get taken in the AFLW draft in October. I'll start with one of them being Rosie Dillon. I remember calling her in a 2014 Division Three VWFL yep. grand final for the Whitehorse Colts. She's come a long way since then. If we actually look at the player statistics for the year, she has been named in your best in every single game that she has played. Can you explain yep. the, the great season that Rosie's been having so far? Well, Rosie Dillon's an amazing story and, you know, and you talk about, you know, you seeing her in Division 3 a few years ago and, and I remember turning up at the club here on our and our first training session and I'd heard about this Rosie Dillon could play and we started off with a time trial and she, she really struggled to even get around but she, she's, she's just worked her, worked her ringer off for the last uh, two and a half years just getting her fitness up and, and, and she's, she's really trim now. She's looking great and um, she's become one of the best uh, inside mids in the competition, and she she captained our club yesterday, which is 
a testament to a girl that struggled to get on the list for the first couple of seasons. And I, and I really made her work hard Pete, to, to get that signature. And even though she had a lot of talent after year one, she'd, she'd been a great player for us. I, I refused to sign her until she got to, got to some, some conditioning standards up and, and she did that. And, and she, she's worked really hard last year. And by the end of the last season, look, she was terrific um, and, and a catalyst for our, our grand final team. And at the end of last season, I, um, you know, a couple of clubs approached me and asked why why Rosie didn't put her name down for the draft, and and I was shocked that she didn't nominate. And I asked her, and she said because she didn't think anyone anyone would want her, and um, which really floored me because she's such a terrific player, and she's just gone from strength to strength this year. And she kicked two goals yesterday, and you know, a couple couple of weeks ago she had um, nineteen contested possessions and twenty six or twenty seven, I think, and kicked the goal, and. Um, you know, she's really filled that void that Emma Mackey left for us, and that's that real hard contested ball winner. And but she's got great awareness of, of, of what's going on around her. Um, she uses her hands and her feet really well. She kicks goals, um, and she's just a just a terrific person. And yeah, we're we're so proud of everything she's done. Her Whitehorse teammate, Claire Dyer, I heard the story that uh, I think it was back in 2016 when uh, you had the trial days on. She, you actually invited her to come down to trial yeah. for Hawthorne and she turned you down originally. I think she, she had something on and she, she couldn't turn up for it. But I'd actually been down to Whitehorse when I first got the job and they were doing a little bit of handballing. I just went down there to watch and she was short of partner. So I just started handballing with her. And um, just noticed what great skills she had. So I invited her to come down and she's going to come down. And I think she sent an email saying she was unavailable for the day. And I think that email got lost in translation and lost in cyberspace somewhere. And um, so she didn't come down the first year. But because I had so many Whitehall skills, I went and watched her, uh, watched them all year. And, and she was there and she just, just impressed me all year. So we got her in last year and, um, you know, she, she was – emergency for the grand final and she was actually warming up in the stadium underneath uh, in case uh, Liv Flanagan's hamstring went. So unfortunately I had to tell her she didn't make the side and she only played the four games but um, we could see last year she was going to be a special player and once once she got her opportunity this year she's uh, she's getting better and better each, every week. And rewarded being named amongst the best uh, for the Hawks. A couple of returning players that you've got have been starring for you, and they did uh, in the game against Richmond on the weekend. I speak, I speak of Beck Beeson, who I think has been named in the VFLW Team of the Week, I think at least three times. And uh, P-Mac, yep. Phoebe McWilliams starring with four goals on the weekend. Yeah, well, Phoebe was um, she was tremendous for us last yesterday, and um, she really straightened us up and. Look, we've, we've been giving her some other roles this year and you're just trying to ex- expand her, um, uh, I suppose, what, what she can do and what she can offer at AFL level. So we've played her on the wing because she, she uses the ball really well and she's got really good decision-making and gives us a focal point coming out of defence. But with Tam Luke going down, we just sort of had to play her as a key forward, um, you know, exclusively yesterday. And yeah, she was terrific. And, and Beck Beeson had 33 touches. I think she had 12 in the first quarter and really set us alight and, her run and spread from stoppage and her, her ball usage was, was outstanding. And, you know, Beck's a player that came to us as a, a half-forward flanker from GWS. And we've invested a lot of time in, in the midfield. And I think she won GW, GWS's best and fairest last year. And just just someone that's so professional off the field and does every everything right. And um, she's getting rewards for, for, you know, her professionalism.
I want to speak about one of your veterans, Lou Watton. Over the last month and a half, a bit of a purple patch. He's been averaging around about 30 hit-outs a game. Uh, where's she at at the moment in her football career? We know uh, of a teammate of a similar age, and Meg Hutchins uh, hung up the boots from playing AFLW. Where, where's Lou's head at at the moment? Is she content in playing VFLW, or does she want another crack at AFLW? And if so, do you think she can make it? Uh, it's, it's a good question. It's probably a question I haven't really asked her. Uh, maybe I should as, as a senior coach. But um, look, she she's been terrific for the last month, um, and, and she needs to be as well because we, we've got a, a, a player called Abby Tanner that's right on her heels and really pushing her hard. And and Lou's just risen to the challenge over this last month. And I, I thought her I thought her efforts yesterday against you know uh, two very good ruckmen was just outstanding. And you know we went into the game. Um, Knowing that Edmonds is, um, you know, probably got 10, 11, 12 centimetres or something on her, and it was going to be a tough ass, but she's such a warrior that um, I think they almost broke even on, on the hit outs yesterday and helped us get first use and, and, you know, winning those clearances went a long way. So, look, Lou's, um, you know, she's retired from footy altogether a couple of times. She's done two uh, Iron Women's triathlons, which is amazing in itself. and She's back playing footy and, you know, she's got a teaching career going now. So, um, yeah, it's probably a good question. I might, I might, have to, might have to ask her that tonight. So let's have a look ahead for Hawthorne's remaining games before the final series. Uh, by luck, you happen to have the bye coming up this weekend before you run a four games. Do you think it's come at the right time for you, allows you to refresh and then just hit it hard over those last four weeks? Um, oh, in a way, yes. I mean, the buys are always handy, and I think people maybe at local level don't understand. Um, you know, they probably get one buy a year, and think, you know, traditionally we just keep playing. But at, at you know, elite level, semi elite level, they're so important because you, it is so time consuming that you know they really the girls do need a mental break, and particularly our AFLW girls that you know have such a long year, you know, having to play over the summer and they don't get much of a break. So the ability to get them away from the club and, you know, have a week off's really important for us. But on the other side of it, we just had a great result against Richmond and played some really good footy yesterday. I wouldn't play, mind playing next Saturday. But um look we've got a real, real tough run to come and you know, I spoke about Melbourne Uni, they you know, they're in great form at the moment and they've got some real real talented players going around. Casey just come off uh, I think probably the biggest score of the year when they um Trounce NT, and then then we just got uh, St Kilda and Collingwood to go after that. That's the top two teams. So, you know, we've really got our work cut out for us. But um, one thing I promise you, please, is we're not going to die wondering, and we're not we're not really interested in you know just just making the finals or, or, or just missing out. We're we're always in it to win it, and um, you know if that means we uh, we fall short, we finish you know tenth, and then then we'll accept that. But uh, we're going to have a decent crack at it. Yeah, they're eight-point games, aren't they, against Melbourne Uni and the Casey Demons who are fighting for a spot in the six. And also, the team that you played in the grand final, the Geelong Cats, just happened to hit some form at the right time. Yeah, look, they're going great guns as well. And, yeah, then you've got the Bulldogs that are, that are playing some good footy. And, and, you know, like you really don't know anymore when you look at the results who's going to beat who, which is you know, just a testament to where this competition's at at the moment. And, you know, it's a... It's turned into a really good season and, you know, Collingwood has been probably the dominant team with St Kilda, but, you know, Collingwood nearly got rolled on the weekend and St Kilda lost, I think, last week. So I think anything's possible on a day and I'm sure it's going to be a really good final series.
For yourself, Paddy, um, th- th- there was word around the traps about a couple of months ago that you were one of the names that uh, were seriously being looked at by the Gold Coast Suns and they end up uh, taking David Lake in the end. Um, personally, how did you find that process for the first time throwing your hat in the ring to try and go for an AFLW senior coach's role? Well, allegedly, uh, I'll say allegedly, but um, look, you know, you know, I'm probably consider myself a, a career coach, and um, you always want to be coaching at the highest level you can. So, um, you know, it, I've sort of thrown my hat in the ring before for VFL jobs, and was lucky enough to pick one up. Um, you know, I think the Gold Coast Suns is a, an exciting opportunity for for, for Lakey, and uh, I'm sure he's going to do a great job there. They're you know, really professionally run, and um, you know, I, th- I don't think they left any stones unturned trying to find the right coach for them, and you know, and they've they picked someone from up that area, and that that really makes sense for for what they're trying to achieve. So, um, you know, I'm really happy at Hawthorne. I, I really, really love the group here, and you know, I, I haven't really heard anything from any other clubs. So, uh, I think uh, Hawthorne stuck with me for for a bit yet. I was going to say you're not tempted for any real estate around Barclay Street Footscray, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know they yeah they. They've made contact, so they obviously got uh, got some people in mind for that job. But yeah, as I said, I, I, I love Hawthorne, and you know they um, they've been so good to me over the years. And you know, I was here as an assistant at Box Hill, and you know I spread my wings and went to France for a couple of years. And 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 when that went south, and I, I needed someone to go, they, they were the only club to to seriously call me and, and offer me something. So my my loyalty is you know very much with Hawthorne. Um, it's not to say if the right opportunity didn't come along, I'd look at it, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the sort of person that goes hunting, hunting for other positions when you when you've got an employer that looks after you and and um, you know does all the right things by you. I think it's you know maybe it's a, probably a bit disrespectful if I just keep throwing my hat up, hand up for, for every job that comes along. So um, you know, I'm, I'm happy here. I love this group. I love the VFL. I love working with it. And for, for the time being, while while I'm contracted to Hawthorne, that's what I'm really going to spend most of my time concentrating on. And I'll ask you one final question. We normally ask this of uh, the AFL women's players about what it means to be an AFLW footballer, but I'll put a twist on it for you. What does it mean for you when, if you were to do a Google search on your name and it comes up to say the words, Patrick Hill, VFLW Premiership Coach? Uh, what does it mean to me? Um, yeah, it means a lot. It means, you know, it's the, the, the Premiership side of it, I suppose, uh, is one thing and, and, you know, the hard work and, you know, I've been coaching 18 years now and, and my son's 18 years old. So, um, you know, I've spent a lot, a lot of time away from my family and to get that reward last year was, you know, it was really good and sort of makes it makes it worthwhile that, that you've done this. But, you know, being having the, the VFLW part next to it is, is really important to me. And I love what women's footy does for, for, for the women out there. I love it how it provides role models for young women. And I love how it's changing community views on on what women can do and what women are capable of. And I know there's still there's still some people out there that that are knockers and the haters. Um, but I've seen so many young women rise up and become better people, and um, you know just just get confidence that that, that they can achieve. Um, and if and if we can impact, you know, and I can impact some women in that that sphere, and then they can go out and they can inspire other women to put their hands up and and start achieving great things and we can turn turn attitudes around so you know we get true equity and equality in, in, in our community then then that that's something that makes me very proud. 
Well, Patrick, thank you very much for being very generous with your time here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we hope you enjoy the bye week and have a great rest of the season. No worries. And thanks for your support, as always, Pete. Now, each week on the program, we check in with Lauren Hodgson with what's happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. That will be coming up a little bit later on in the program. But one team she mentions often because they've been having an outstanding debut year in the Women's Premier Division has been the East Coast Eagles. They've been headed up by longtime member of the club, Peter Steer. They're currently sitting second on the table. They've got a big match coming up this weekend, taking on the number one side in Macquarie University. Both sides with only the one loss for the season so far. So it's going to be a cracker. And we thought a very apt time to check in with Peter and the East Coast Eagles. Joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. It's great to have on the line the man that's leading the East Coast Eagles in their debut year in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It's Peter Steer. Peter, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to have you on the line. And uh, first of all, congratulations to what's been a, a successful season so far for the East Coast Eagles in the Women's Premier Division. Yes, we've started the season extremely well. Um, a lot of work went in pre-season on skills development and uh, and it's pretty much every every night at training, the girls have put in really a tremendous effort and we had excellent support from the football club. So our women's program is uh, going ahead in leaps and bounds. It's great. Now, if I'm correct, this is your first year in charge of the East Coast Eagles women's program, but you've actually had a long history at the East Coast Eagles, formerly Sydney Hills. Uh, that's correct. I've been at the club for 13 years, my 13th year. I uh, coached um, under-18s and under-19s for eight years and then coached uh, our Premier Division men's team and then an assistant coach for Premier Division men's and then this year um, stepped up to coaching our Premier Division women's. Now, you've had an association also in their NEFL program. Has that been, I guess, uh, partly why they wanted you to take on the role of uh, the Eagles in the inaugural year in the Women's Premier Division to try and bring that uh, semi-professional atmosphere of what is NEFL football to the women's program? Yeah, that's certainly a part of it. Um, and I suppose because I've been around at the club for such a long time and uh, and had a fairly successful record, um, I applied for the role and uh, got the unanimous support of the board. So I picked up the, the job back in uh, October. Now, for the, for the first two years of the Eagles women's uh, program, which is 2017 and 2018, they were playing Division One football. The decision was made to go the step up to Premier Division for this year. So what's it been like since you took over putting the building blocks in place and also the recruiting to get the side up to standard to be competitive in Premier Division, let alone trying to make second spot? Uh, yeah, well, the process actually started. We had to apply for uh, to be promoted to Premier Division um, and that required us to respond to the AFL's minimum standard. Uh, the eight selection criteria for that, which we met and exceeded all of those selection criteria. Uh, so we were awarded the spot in Premier Division, which was great. And at that point, we uh, we started our recruiting process. Uh, we picked up three of the AFLW Giants players, Renee Tompkins, Joe Magisu, and Panine Zrika. And uh, homegrown players, we have uh, five girls who are also in the AFL or the Giants train-on squad. And, uh, and basically, just a lot of a lot of skills development and a lot of hard work. We had a long pre-season. We started early November. Uh, the women really committed to it and um, they're getting the results now. So it's been a great start to the season. 
as you mentioned, you've got players that are from the Giants and the AFLW and those that are part of the VFLW squad with the Giants. Eight in total, plus, if I'm correct, I think three players that played with New South Wales ACT in the under-18s Nationals. Um, how's, That's how's that been as a coach trying to juggle uh, them playing for the Eagles plus their commitments, as well as obviously trying to add depth to the squad to cover what could be the loss of essentially half a team, 11 players at times? Uh, that's correct. Most I think we've lost is, is probably nine on any one week, but um, we've got great depth. We've got a Division Two team, and uh, those those women have really stepped up um, from where we were uh, in November. We've got about 50 registered players, um, and probably out of that group, that 23 or 24 first-year players, so I've had to do a lot of work on development. Um, but, yeah, it does make it pretty tough when on Monday nights um, the girls train with the Giants, so we have uh, eight girls at Giants training, and then add to that the... Uh, the three girls in our in under eighteen state squad, um, missing them for um, five games as well. So it's been tough, but we've got good depth, and um, and we've had some players really step up. We've played over thirty two players in Premier Division this year, so I think that shows our depth, which has been great. One of your standout players this year has been your co-captain in Sarah Ford. I actually looked through the better players, and all bar two games, she's been in the top three when it comes to best players, having a standout year. Yes, she is. She's uh, an outstanding player. Um, she's training in the training squad with the Giants. Uh, Sarah's our captain and, and leader and provides a lot of on-field and off-field um, um, support. And she's been absolutely wonderful. And her, her season to date has been excellent. So, And she's getting better and better um, and leading by example. So she's a, a great player. Particularly those that are, are keeping an eye out to see who could be picked up by the Giants or New South Wales players that may relocate to Victoria, example, to get a gig at the AFLW level. Who's some of the talent that you've seen come through your squad that's it's been really exciting and, and might be a chance of uh, being picked up? Um, well, we had a surprise package at the start of the year. Um, a couple of uh, women turned up and wanted to play. But they notified us pre-season they wanted to play. One had a rugby league background um, in Kayla Stanley and, and a bit of soccer, and one had a soccer background in, in Gabe Mazzano. And basically, they're both first-year players and uh, and now have been invited to train with the Giants um, on a Monday night. So Monday, uh, yeah, Monday and Wednesday night. So they're standout players. They pick up the game incredibly quickly and have uh, had outstanding seasons so far. They played their first two games in uh, Division Two, and since then they've played Prems. So big improvement for them, and uh, they've been noticed by the Giants as well. With the players that you've had the good fortune of uh, picking up from the Giants from, directly from the AFLW program, uh, does their leadership stand out at training? Do you see them uh, not quite taking over the drills, but providing that leadership, particularly to those new players that you said that you've picked up and are coming through the ranks? Uh, yes, and in particular, Renee Tompkins. Renee is our defensive coach. So she's, she has a very active role um, in, in training, and she's... Uh, Really set the, set the standard, I think, for uh, for the girls at training, the intensity and the work rate at training, and um, and she's not afraid to, to to pull us up if we're not up to that standard. So she's been awesome. Looking through most of your matches, you've had dominant victories, and we're talking in the vicinity of anywhere from ten goals to hundred points. It's been some crushing victories over opponents as the season have gone has gone on. What do you put that down to? Is it is it defensive pressure? Is it clean ball use? What's seeing you rack up such big scores, particularly in your debut year in the Premier Division? Um, well, we're currently sitting second on the ladder, um, only on percentage, but we're the, the um, highest goal scoring team in the comp, and we're second best in defence. So. Uh, you know, we've worked really hard. Uh, I've got um, good coaches that will help us out that area. And we've worked really hard on our defence. Um, but also we've had um, some excellent uh, attacking play as well. 
Um, until this week, we had the leading goal scorer in Riley McGartland. Riley broke her finger, unfortunately, a few weeks ago, so she hasn't played the last few weeks. Um, but she was leading by about uh, 10 goals uh, until a couple of weeks ago. So we've had some dominant forwards, but then also some very dominant backs. So we're, we're strong across the ground um, and match that with a um, a very, very strong midfield. Uh, I'd say we're definitely the, the strongest in the competition. Um, it's put us in very good stead. So we're strong across the ground. You've got coming up this Saturday, the 27th of July, 3.10pm at Macquarie University, a match with the top of the table, Mac Uni Warriors. Considering it's four weeks out from the finals, how tricky is this going to approach as a coach? Obviously, uh, you're going to have a good, tough hit out. Is it, is it one where, obviously, you're going for the win or another where, look, the win would be nice, but you can't afford to show all your cards because you're going to make finals and most likely in about five weeks' time, you're going to cross paths again when it's all on the line in the semi-final. No, you're certainly spot on. Um, we're certainly going out there to win on the weekend. There's no doubt about that. Um, we have been um, got a few tricks up our sleeve, which we won't be uh, putting on display on the weekend. But, uh, yeah, we, we're certainly out for the win this weekend. We're not, not looking to to go down lightly so I think it'll be a pretty tough clash um, the last game I think they beat us uh, we beat them by 22 points so we're looking to keep that form and uh, post another win are, are go you, out right top Are, are you uh, sensing around the girls a bit of an urgent spring in the stick coming into this game after having you know quite a few comfortable victories in the past of okay this is a real challenge we've got coming up this weekend Yeah there certainly is um, after the game of the weekend we pretty much turned our attention to Mac Uni straight away and um, and there's been also to add to that we've got uh, because the girls in the Giants squad where there's a lot of banter at Giants training because uh, obviously Mac Uni got a few uh, Giants players as well and the, the captain Amanda Frugia so it's quite a bit of banter there between the girls so it's uh, it's going to be on 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 the weekend I'd say. And finally, what's the uh, support been like from the club? And I'm talking not just the committee, but obviously uh, on the men's side and the junior side of things about them getting behind the women's program and supporting it from the sidelines, considering this inaugural season in the, in, in the top flight in the Premier Division. Yeah, I've got to say that we've had absolutely outstanding support from the entire club. Um, yeah, the board have been outstanding, but the men's program have been equally as outstanding. Um, you know, we've got a couple of our, our top players who train with, with the, the men as well as training with, with the women to help uh, develop their skills. Um, but, and Lindsay Scone, our, our Premier Division coach for men, he's certainly been um, a great support to us through the women and, um, and, and mentor to them as well. And also mentoring Renee Tompkins from a coaching perspective. So we know we've had really outstanding support across, across the ground and uh, the whole club's embraced women's footy which has been outstanding. And, um, yeah, we go from strength to strength. And I think the other big thing is it's really made a big difference to the culture around the club as well. Um, having a lot more of the women around um, and not just providing volunteer support, but just the whole culture around the club has been been uh, excellent. So it's been a great, great first season. Well, Peter, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations what's been so far a successful season for the East Coast Eagles in the uh, AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and all the very best for your upcoming finals campaign. Much appreciated. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. We're going to check in with the latest in the international women's footy scene right after this on RSN Carnival. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org.
on digital radio in Melbourne through RSN Carnival via the rsn.net.au website and the RSN Racing and Sport app. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time to have a look at what's happening in women's footy on the international front. And before we check in with the USAFL's Western Regional Tournaments being played this coming weekend and finding out what happened in week one of the AFL London League Women's Finals Series, we've got a score check from the AFL Ontario competition there in Canada. Round eight played over the weekend. A Central Blues nose score going down to the Etobicoke Kangaroos. 10-12-72. High Park Demons, Ottawa Swans and Hamilton Wildcats all having the bye for the round. Only the one standalone game for round nine coming Coming up this Saturday, 27th of July, 2pm at Humber College South as the High Park Demons play host to the Hamilton Wildcats. Time to head over now to the United States of America where the Western Regional Tournament for the United States Australian Football League is being played this weekend in Salem, Oregon. And joining us on the line again is the media manager of the US AFL in the American BT, Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? G'day, Peter. How's it going? Well, you're up to the last of the trifecta of the uh, regional tournaments. We've had the Eastern, we had the Central uh, just not that long ago. Now the Western Regional Tournament. Yep, we'll be in Salem, Oregon. It'll be the second time that we've been out there for the USAFL Western Regional Tournament. We were there uh, last time in 2016. It'll be at the same location at the Capital FC Timbers uh, Soccer Complex. Very spacious complex, very good field, and... uh, great backdrop for what should be a good tournament to finish out the uh, regional championship series. And for the teams taking part in the tournament, uh, almost a very similar lineup to the Cascadia tournament that was played uh, not that long ago. No, it wasn't. And uh, I mean, it's essentially the four uh, core teams. It'll be the San Francisco Iron Maidens who are looking for their first regional championship since 2005. The Portland Sox guys who have won two out of the last three, albeit with partner teams. They'll be uh, partnered with the Arizona Outlaws this coming weekend. The Seattle Grizzlies will have the support of the Arizona Lady Hawks, and then the Sacramento Suns will be accompanied by the LA Dragons women. So let's start by having a look at the San Francisco Iron Maidens, who of course are the uh, reigning national champions, but for some reason have always struggled to get their hands on the trophy at the Western Regional Tournament. It's kind of uh, odd to consider the fact that in 2015, the only year since the the current regional championships format has been happening, uh, it it was the only year that they've won the Western Regionals, and it was the only year that they haven't won Nationals. Uh, They have not won. They've only had three wins over the last four seasons and over the the last three seasons. The closest they came was in 2018, last year, when they won two out of three. They're going to try and turn it around this year, and they're coming off a, a performance in the Cascadia tournament where they didn't really bring a whole team. They were missing a couple of their stars, but uh, and having lost to Portland and Seattle, they're going to try and turn that around. Now, they are coming off a win uh, in Napa Valley on June 29th, a 57 to nothing win over the Sacramento Lady Suns, and they brought most of their firepower to that. Elise Gallagher the uh, reigning best and fairest winner. Um, Millie Bruce will be there as well in the forward line. And, of course, you got to talk about Katie Klatt, who has been a, a monumental ad for this team. It'll be interesting to see what I, kind of Iron Maiden team shows up this weekend. Uh, if they bring their entire 
weaponry. There are very few teams that could beat them either here or across the country. But there are times when if they're missing one or two pieces, they look rather ordinary. But they are still the best team in the country until someone comes along and knocks them off at the Nationals level. Then we have the home team, the Portland Sockeyes, teaming up with the uh, Arizona Outlaws. It seems to be that they've owned the Western Regionals over the last two or three years. We know that they were a competitive side, uh, winning numerous titles in Division Two at the uh, National Tournament. They've been winning the Western Regionals. I think is this going for their fourth in a row, perhaps, for Portland? It's uh, two out of the last three. They didn't win in 2017, and they were combined with a number of other clubs when that when it was held in Denver that year. But in 2016, they combined with Minnesota. It was almost a 50-50 split, and they went on to win. Last year, if you remember, they had four or five players from the Los Angeles Dragons. They also had Minnesota's page kicker, which I think really turned things around defensively for them. One of the things that makes them so dangerous is the fact that they have players that can play just about anywhere, uh, and they have players that are strong up and down the park. And it starts with Simone Shepard. Simone is a true all-rounder. She can play in the ruck. She can play in the forward line. She can help out defensively. They also have height players like Brandy Machado. And in the midfield, they've got uh, Lucy Parrington, who was last year's regional best in Ferris. They also have a number of players who have come backgrounds in other sports. Tara Krugel, who is uh, strong in the back line. She's a, a gridiron football player. Holly Petrie, also a gridiron quarterback as well. They also have players like Amanda Weaver and Lauren Williams as well, who have a, a roller derby background. So there's a lot of toughness in that side, and there's where they could really spread out. Now, I'm not sure at this point as we're recording, Peter, how many players they are going to get from the Arizona Outlaws. The one player who is top quality for them is Amanda Mora, who tried out for the Liberty uh, Liberty and Freedom teams back in March. So it will be a good addition, but they're playing at home. They always seem to have good juju when it comes to the regionals, and so they have to be considered a chance to repeat and win their third and fourth seasons. The third team in the tournament is the Seattle Grizzlies teaming up with the Arizona Hawks, the side that Valerie Barber Exthalm originally came out of, and, of course, the famous Hawks, the home of Danny Marshall, but who is now, of course, uh, here in Melbourne. Um, for the Seattle Grizzlies, uh, in, in these tournaments, they've always seemed to be middle of the road. They, they perform well, but just fall short of coming away with the silverware. Well, last year they didn't win a single game. And uh, in talking to a couple of the players and talking to some of the observers, uh, last year they had played the Vancouver Vixens, uh, I think, four or five times in the lead-up to this tournament. And and I think the feeling was, is having played the same team over and over, they really kind of shifted into a mindset against the one team, and it hurt them when they were going up against teams with different styles. Here they've only played them, I think, twice all season. They've already played uh, San Francisco. They've already played Portland in the Cascadia tournament. So they've had the opportunity. Of course, they've played Edmonton as well. They've had the opportunity to really diversify. Uh, but this is also a team that has a lot of talent, as evidenced by how far they went shorthanded, essentially, at the Nationals last year, going all the way to the Grand Final. And the fact that they have so many players, you know, we talked about Barbara Axelm, who, of course, is over in Australia, April Lewis, who's playing for Essendon. But don't count out players like Alessandra Alcoser, who's very seedy, Amelia Carr, of course, in the back line. Um, Latia Holmes, who I think is really kind of overlooked and is important to the defensive side of the football as a player like Carr is. 
up front, Amanda Bow, who is a scoring machine. She kicked four goals in one game earlier, and they have rookies such as Rachel Blum as well. Now, for the Arizona contingent, that's going to be adding, of course, you mentioned Danny Marshall, who uh, isn't going to be there uh, this year, this time, because she will be over in, she's already over in, in Australia. However, they have a number of new players coming up and a number of second-year players that are coming, and that's led by Abby Miklas, who's been very good, especially in that game against Los Angeles, as well as Olivia Husing, who is a young player, very speedy, brings a little bit of that rugby and soccer as well. Melissa Wilhelm will be joining as well. And will, as we mentioned, she's coming off of a performance a couple of weeks ago when she played for the Texas Heat. She came over as a free agent, uh, kicked a goal early in that game against one of the Denver teams. And uh, she told me that she's very slowly getting back into things after giving birth uh, to their son a couple of weeks ago. And she, I'll tell you what, she wouldn't be able to tell that, that she just had a baby because she really slipped into the forward line and was very, very active. So Seattle's already a good team, and some of these players of varying uh, experience levels will help them and, and maybe even get them over the line, and they'll have a better performance than they did last year. The final team partaking in the Western Regional Tournament is the Sacramento Suns uh, teaming up with the Los Angeles Dragons. Uh, for Sacramento, fair to say they are the outsiders for this tournament. Yeah, that's a that's a fair, uh, I guess, assessment. And, and consider the fact that uh, they took a step back last year, in a sense, because they went from Division One to Division Two at Nationals. And uh, they did uh, play well at home. They managed to get that one win, 7-3 to three over Seattle. It was a very uh, hard-fought victory. They have a number of players that uh, that have stepped away. They're uh, having uh, children and whatnot and uh, are going away and coming back. But players such as Christine Flock in the forward line, who was their leading scorer a couple of years ago in the in the local tournament. Rosemary Clough is back after missing all of last year with an ACL injury that she suffered, I believe, playing rugby. Uh, she's back, and I'm told uh, so far that she is playing better than she was before the injury. It's easy. It's, it's interesting how that that works. Uh, Mackenzie Sakura is back. Uh, Mackenzie Carr rather is back. Uh, the playing defensively as well. She's going to be one of the. She's always been one of their uh, important players across the back line. And Erica Titus Lay, who's up for a spot in the Freedom as well, is one to keep an eye on. She's very quick across the middle of the ground. Now, those players are good. And when you consider the fact, you look, we mentioned about how the L.A. players really helped turn the tide in their combination against Portland last year. Um, this is an instance where that could happen. Now, uh, Leilani Silvio is, is traveling. As far as I know, she won't be available but when you look at players like Eileen Yoon, who is a former Sacramento Sun herself, who's very quick, and Yui Kawakatsu, who I don't think gets enough attention, how dangerous she is in the middle of the ground, how dangerous she is creating scoring chances. As far as I know, uh, both of those players will be available this weekend. So they are, I guess, the dark horse of the four teams, but don't count them out considering how dangerous they can be. And if they string some possessions of play together and they can hold up defensively, they might have a shot. And just before we let you go, Brian, um, people can actually take a look at the vision from the Central Regional Tournament, which I believe now is up on YouTube. It is on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash USAFL1997. Uh, we do have the uh, Texas-Denver game online 
Uh, we are going to be getting a couple of other games online soon that we have from our other cameras. So keep an eye out for that. and Also keep an eye out uh, on our regular channel as well on our website, usafl.com. Well, Brian, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your company uh, next week when we get a review of what happened in Salem, Oregon this weekend. Thank you, Pete. Always a pleasure. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at week one of the AFL London Women's League final series. We've got Mariana Graham on the line. Maz, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm always feeling fantastic when it's finals football and we're finally at the business end of the season in the AFL London Women's League. Let's start by, first of all, going to the conference division uh, where it was second versus third, uh, partly taking on the Wandsworth Demons Reserves. Yeah, so we always thought this would be a close game. I think Putney sort of played better all season um, generally, but in the last of the last few weeks, the results have been up and down. And this game sort of proved to be quite a close fought contest. So Putney Magpies just pipping the Wandsworth Demons by uh, two points, winning one seven thirteen to one five eleven. So um, that will set up a, a, a effectively top of the table final next week with um, the London Swans playing the Putney Magpies. As we take our attention now to the Premier Division, uh, of course they have a top four system. Uh, in the minor semi-final between third and fourth, uh, it was the Wildcats defeating the Giants. Yeah, so I followed this game a little bit, obviously, because um, the South East London Giants are playing. And I think up to half time there was only a couple of points in it. Um, and then I, the Giants must have uh, lost a bit of momentum. The Wildcats kicked a few goals in that second half and uh, won by two goals. So the final score there was 4-6-30 to 2-6-18. And in the other semi-final, first versus second with a double chance on the line, uh, it was upset City between the Wandsworth Demons and North London Lions. It was upset City, so I think that was the first loss for the Demons. Um, the the Lions uh, came out winners by by a goal again, so three five twenty three to the Demons to four five twenty nine to the Lions. Um, I think early on in the season, these both games that were played were generally quite close, so um, it was always going to be a, a good a good tough game, and the Lions just just pipped them right at the end. And uh, this means we have a preliminary final set up next week of uh, the West London Wildcats taking on the Wandsworth Demons. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so it'd be interesting to see uh, how the Wildcats go against the Demons. But you know, based on based on the first week's results, anything's possible in this game. Well, Mariana, thanks very much for joining us here at RSCN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we review the second week of the AFL London Women's League Final Series. No worries. Thanks, Peter. Don't touch that dial. We've got our Women's State League's footy wrap coming up very shortly, right here on RSCN Carnival. There's jumpers, hoodies, and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au. Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au. 
on the World Wide Web via rsn.net.au, on your digital radio in Melbourne through RSN Carnival and via the RSN Racing and Sport app. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time for our State Leagues wrap, and we're going to kick off with a mention of the Queensland versus WA emerging talent match that was played. The best under-23s in Queensland and WA and women's footy went head-to-head as they prepared to have a competitive draft in October for both the Lions and the Suns in the Queensland pool and the Eagles and the Dockers in the WA pool. It was Queensland that came out with the victory in the end to 6-11-47 to 3-2-20. It was only three points the difference at halftime before the uh, Queenslanders pulled away with a four-goal to one-goal second half. Uh, Yorston and Sermon with two goals each. Kelly and Davidson with the other goals for Queensland. One of the better players on the day was Kate Sermon and he was her speaking to uh, the Gold Coast Suns website after the match. Really happy, you know, for a team that just got together this week and trained once together. You know, we played phenomenal. You know, the first quarter, you know, it was it was relatively even, but we had the win, so we definitely were we were up. But then the second quarter, they they had the wind and got up. But you know, from half half time to you know the end of the game, we really dominated the whole game. Yep. We were pretty lucky. Yesterday we trained in the the rain and it was it was yucky. You know, it was windy. It was quite difficult to, to kick the ball. But you know, today it was it was beautiful. You know, blue skies. The ground was a little bit wet, a little bit difficult to pick up, but otherwise it was all it was all fine. Yeah. They were really really good overhead. You know, they were great at marking, which was which is something you know I guess we're not as good at, but we're really really good um, when the ball hits the ground. So the goal was to kind of like I guess make a um, make a, a contest and then get to the ground. So we tended to get a lot of the ground whereas they got a lot of lot more marks than us. We gelled really, really well. Considering you know we we you know the eight, last six eight weeks we've been competing against each other, we we went together really really well. We really worked and linked up really nicely, particularly in that fourth quarter when w- they actually had the wind. So you know we dominated that last quarter and just started to link up beautifully, which was awesome. With the emerging talent game being held in Perth, it saw the WAFL women's competition take a bye for the week. They have returned for this weekend, July 27, 28, on the Saturday round 11 football Subiaco versus One Districts, 2:30 p.m. at Leaderville. Oval. Well, on Sunday, July 28, East Fremantle play host to Pill Thunder, 2.40pm local time at New Choice Homes Park. That will also be their video stream match of the week. They did play, however, the weekend just gone in the QAFLW competition. UQ Red Lions, 11.975 defeated Coolangatta Tweed, 1.511. Yoronga South Brisbane, 6.642 defeated Absley Hornets, 2.214. Bond University, 13.11.89 whacked Wilston Grange Gorillas, 2.13. 13, while Cooperoo 4630 went down to Marucci door 7850. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division round 14 over the weekend. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm always feeling fine, particularly as we get closer to the finals. And uh, it's certainly at the business end of the season in Sydney. Round 14 over the weekend. We start with a close one. Um, UTS bat 6-6-42 getting over the Inner West Magpies 3-5-23. Yeah, it was one of our closer games of the round. Um, started off pretty close. Quarter time, there was only two points in it. Uh, Half time, there was only one point in it. And Magpies are actually up. And uh, and only two points in it again at three quarter time. But um, the UTS bats were able to pull away in that uh, last quarter, kicking uh, three goals, three, and holding the Magpie scoreless. So they certainly did well. Uh, goal kickers for the bats: Breen and Jenkins with two, and uh, Daly and Bean with one. And the goal kickers for the Magpies were Freckleton 
um, Convery and Lawson. So, uh, yeah, a close contest as we uh, thought it would be. Looking to the second game, of course, we chatted uh, earlier in the program with uh, East Coast Eagles uh, head coach Peter Steer. They had another comfortable victory. The Eagles 10-11-71, defeating the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Just the one straight goal. Yeah, look, almost a standard scoreline for the Eagles at the moment. Um, look, they, they started off strong, um, 3-2 in the first quarter. and uh, But it was really in the second half where they hit their straps, Peter. And um, look, they... They had uh, an even spread of goal kickers, uh, two each to Hurley and Goodsir, and um, and then singles to Donellan, uh, Paul Reno, Delaway, Ford, Martin, and Tompkins. So um, they're certainly uh, showing they've, uh, you know, I said got a, a good spread of players right across the field, and um, yeah, look, they're, they're going to be uh, hard to beat. And look, Macun is probably the only team uh, that can match them, I think. In the third game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers uh, 6-3-39 defeated the Southern Power 1-6-12. Yeah, look, um, another close-ish game here. Um, Power would be disappointed that uh, they, they couldn't come away with a win. I think they would have fancied themselves on the back of some uh, good form, particularly their win against the Bulldogs. Uh, Hay kicked three for the Bombers uh, and singles to Gillen, Phil and McDonnell. And Jemima Wrigley was uh, power sole goal kicker. So I said they'd be disappointed with that because they uh, really uh, would have uh, put themselves in a in with a good chance um, to take a win off the Bombers and solidify their top four spot. And in the final game of the round, the Newtown Breakaways just the one behind against Macquarie University, who kicked 12 21 93. Yeah, look, 12 21 93. Um, not at the game, so hard to tell whether that's some inaccuracy or rushed behinds. But you're 21 behind, you'd have to say there's probably a few inaccurate goal kicks there. Um, so things could have been worse for the breakaways. Um, you know, look, we speak about it every week, but yeah, they're having a very disappointing season. Um, but Melissa Bryden, someone that's having a great season from MacUni, she kicked uh, six of their 12 goals, and it's easier to go to the top of the uh, competition goal kickers list. So, um, look, Mac Uni are certainly flying along. So, let's take a look at the next round of Sydney women's football. All games being played on Saturday, the 27th of July. Uh, we start 2pm at Village Green. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs are playing host to the UTS Bats. Yeah, I think this um, this should be a, a close contest. And uh, I'm actually going to tip the Bats uh, to beat the Bulldogs. I'm, I'm not sure if the Bats have ever beat the Bulldogs in Premier Division, but um, I think they might just get them um, on the weekend. 3.10pm at Macquarie University. It's first versus second. Macquarie University taking on the East Coast Eagles. Yeah, look, it's game of the round, um, possibly game of the year so far. Uh, I think we'll have a uh, really good contest, but um, I think the uh, I think the Warriors might just get it done at home, but I think it's going to be a close one. 4pm at Waratah Oval, the Southern Power versus the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, Power will be looking to get back on a win, winner's list here. Obviously, they um, they do play stronger at home. And uh, as we've said, you know, Newtown aren't having the best season. So I think Power will uh, win this one fairly comfortably. And 4.10pm at Sydney Uni, number one Oval, the Sydney Uni Bombers playing host to the Inner West Magpies. Uh, look, I think um, Sydney Uni, I think they'll they'll get the win. Um, you know, they're third on the ladder. Um, and, yeah, look, the West are, are out of the finals at the moment. So um, 
yeah, I think uh, the Bombers will uh, win that comfortably. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review another round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, looking forward to it. No footy was played last weekend in the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition. They return this Sunday, July 28th, all games starting at 12pm for Round 12 at Lauderdale Sports Ground. Lauderdale plays host to North Launceston. At the Twin Ovals, Clarence plays host to the Tigers, while at Windsor Park, Launceston play host to Glenorchy. To the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition, they had the bye last weekend. All games returning this weekend. Two on Saturday, one on Sunday. Uh, Saturday, 3.45pm, Connor Magpies play host of the Ainsley Tricolors 5pm Saturday. East Lake Demons play host of the Gungahlin Jets, while 3.45pm on Sunday, the Quimbian Tigers play host to the Tugranong Hawks. And joining us on the line now here on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at round 11 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line our league caller who's been missing in action for a couple of weeks. It's great to have Matthew Cox back on the line. Coxie, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Pete. Yeah, I haven't uh, been to a VFLW game for, for a couple of weeks now, unfortunately. Just trying to fit everything into the schedule. Um, hopefully I'm back at the ground uh, very, very soon. But looking at the, the scores from the weekend, geez, it's it's tightening up in the race for, for a spot in the top six in the 2019 season. There's um, some very intriguing results from across the weekend. And I look at the likes of Casey, Hawthorne, um, both stating a claim on the weekend, the Southern Saints returning to form and Melbourne University, they seem to have clicked as well. We'll get to those games in a moment's time. Let's have a look at the opening game. Essendon versus Darabin that was played out there at Windy Hill. Essendon 4-10-34, defeating the Darabin Falcons 4-2-26. For the Bombers, that's their third win of the year. Remember, they only lost, pardon me, they only won a single game last year. So they've automatically improved on that by two games with still five rounds to play. And mathematically speaking, Essendon are still a shot at making the top six. Yeah, I think that is slightly ambitious, though. I don't think even if they didn't make the top six, if results did go their way, that they'd be able to cause much damage. I think they're just missing that little bit of of extra class uh, in that side, which will come, which will come. They've been on a good trajectory over the last 18 months. Uh, we were a bit concerned at, towards the end of last season about where the club could potentially go with the way that results were heading uh, in the latter half of the 2018 season but they've come out this year and even though they've lost a a majority of their games they've been competitive in most of them there's only been a couple of times that they've been blown off the park which would be a positive thing for Brendan Major and his coaching group that they're they're actually performing quite well which bodes well uh, going into next season and beyond particularly because they're developing a lot of talent at the moment it's almost similar in many ways to probably Geelong maybe of uh, three years ago and you could probably even put Box Hill in that category too where they didn't get great results. I mean, Geelong nearly made finals in their first season but they were, were much more about developing the, the, the talent within their region. Box Hill in a similar sort of mindset and the results started to come their way. So I think Essendon are on that similar trajectory and the, the scoring on the weekend suggests that they could have actually won this game by a lot more. 4-10 at the end of the day. They kicked one goal five in the opening term. Um, so they could have really blown Darabin off the park and really got a percentage booster. But 
unfortunately, they were inaccurate. Cecilia McIntosh kicking two goals. Collier and Stepnell, the other goal kickers for Essendon. The Darabin Falcons, Lauren Arnell kicking two goals. DiMatteo kicked uh, one goal and Simpson uh, kicked a goal as well for the Darabin Falcons. When you take a look at the stats from the game, 85-72 to 72 in favour of Essendon for tackles. Hitouts going the way of Darabin, as you would probably expect. The inside 50, those really hurting Darabin. 38-19 to 19 in favour of Essendon. So that was a, the, the big difference at the end of the, the day for them. Leading possession getters on the ground uh, for Essendon. Nance Cowan racked up 21 touches. Ahearns racked up 20. Aliso Day, the leading possession getter on the weekend for the Darabin Falcons with 19. Only laying the one tackle and taking two marks. Uh, Nance Cowan uh, really good with eight tackles on the weekend for the Bombers. Again, that final score, 4-10, 34-4-2-26. As we were saying on the day during the call, Cecilia McIntosh should be fined $20 to the uh, women's footy team's social club fund for their Mad Monday because her two goals were two cheeky ones. It's after two long bombs from teammates. The balls were bouncing in the goal square. And because there was pressure from an opponent, in comes Cecilia with a little cheeky toe poke with one metre to go on both occasions to claim that goal. So I reckon that's a fine to the Mad Monday fund. I think that's experience, Pete, the uh, veteran <laughs> knowing exactly what to do uh, to get her name up in lights. But at least she's, at least the, the, the forward entries was a concern at last year when we called their games. And it, it seems as though that they've been able to straighten up. They've got more options. They're a little more unpredictable going inside 50 this year. And I, I believe McIntosh is being played in, in various different positions as well. So using her versatility to her strength and obviously bobbing up deep inside 50 is a, is a crucial spot for her. As we go to Morwell Recreation Reserve, it was Collingwood versus Melbourne Uni. Um, if you go back uh, to the start of the season, you would have said, oh, yeah, it's going to be a close game. You go along about five or six rounds into the season and Melbourne Uni's uh, form takes a, a turn for the worst and you go, uh-oh, looks like Collingwood will smash Melbourne Uni in this game. And in the last couple of weeks, the Muggers turned their form around. They didn't get the chocolates, but, boy, they pushed the top side all the way. The Magpies 6-4-40, the Muggers 5-6-36. You can only assume that there was a bit of wind that impacted this game looking at the scoreline. The Muggers led at quarter time by three points and then didn't score in the second quarter. Collingwood able to put on two goals too. And then Collingwood were only able to score one behind in the third quarter, whereas Melbourne University were able to get on the scoreboard a fair bit and then it was a tight last turn. So uh, assuming weather played a role uh, in terms of wind down at Morwell on the weekend. But you're right, Melbourne University, uh, probably a month ago you would have said you know, they, they were probably looking towards the bottom end of the ladder for a finishing spot this season, just purely on consistency. They've had a few good results, but they, they could fall away very, very quickly. And they've seemed to straighten that up in the last couple of weeks. And looking at their goal kickers, Abitangelo, Cox, Gillespie Jones, King, Riddle, they were, they're all quality players. They're impacting the scoreboard for the Muggers. And the same can be said, really, for Collingwood. Alexander kicked two. Bold, Kiochi, Lee and Lynch, their goal kickers on the weekend. The interesting stat, though, is that Melbourne University had more possession of the football, 56% to 44%. That's despite taking less marks. Collingwood took 53 marks to 35. The tackles were fairly similar. Seven hitouts more in favour of Collingwood. 
and the inside 50 is 26 apiece. So Collingwood a little more efficient going inside 50. Melbourne University with just one more scoring shot at the end of the day, but uh, more behinds registering on the scoreboard. The leading possession getters on the ground. This is a star-studded list. I'm, I'm going to go through a few. Riddle racked up 29 touches, laid eight tackles, took two marks. That's number one. Number two, Garner for Melbourne University, 25 touches, six tackles. Number three was Steph Giocci, the leading Collingwood player, 23 touches, three tackles. Jenna Bruton for Melbourne University, 22 touches. Uh, Jess Trend, 19 touches. Chloe Malloy, 17 touches. Abitangelo, 17 touches. Michaela Can, 15 touches. So there is some stars up the top of the pointy end of the, the stat sheet from the weekend's results, which means that both teams were going at it. This was probably one that just sets them up for the remaining five rounds of the home and away season. And maybe Melbourne University, we can't rule them out just yet from being a potential threat. They're now just sitting inside the top six thanks to a handy percentage. Um, but they do have a bit of work to do to be able to retain that spot. So we go to Alice Springs and the NT Thunder have got the wobbles. The Casey Demons start the season three and zip, lost six in a row, have finally got back on the winner's board and in the biggest way possible. Casey on the road. 13-7-85, defeating the NT Thunder 3-2-20. Yeah, it was really the second term that set it up the KC Demons. They had a blistering quarter. The Northern Territory Thunder, they were only able to kick one goal in the second term. Um, whereas for Casey, they were able to get, so they moved from 3-3 to 7-5. Do the math there because I'm unable to. Um, But they had a blistering second quarter, which basically set them up for a great result and a really strong finish. And I think it's been coming to the Casey Demons. I think back to the game up at Bendigo a couple of, nearly a month ago now that we called. And they were competitive, but they'd lapse in in various stages of the game, which created opportunities for Richmond to go away and score. Just looking at the scoreline from the weekend's game without actually seeing the vision yet, Casey seemed to not have that. And they've found that consistency, which is incredibly important for them. Um, Are they still a potential threat in the finals calculations? Well, they've dropped a little bit off the pace. They sit a game outside the top six at the moment, but they have got a fairly good percentage. So... Again, they're a side with a bit of work to do. Northern Territory Thunder on the other side of the equation. This is really puzzling for me because, okay, it was in Alice Springs, um, the game on the weekend, so not in Darwin as it usually is, which means there would have been some travel element for a majority of the NC Thunder list. But to be wiped off the park the way they were, whether they just thought that it was a a shoe in this victory and and approached it wrong from a from an attitude perspective. Um, not really sure. It's a little puzzling to see why the Northern Territory Thunder um, had such a, a poor result. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Hatchard kicked two, and Thompson was the other goal kicker. Hatchard named amongst the best. You also had Jeffrey, Cox, Duggan, Roberts, and Stratter. So some fairly good names named amongst the best players there for the Northern Territory Thunder. But just for one reason or another, Casey dominated. Uh, Warren kicked three. Uh, Zanka kicked three, who's, I think, been impressive for the Casey Demons. Or two, Sheriff, Jacobson, Cordner, Weber, Howes. They're goal kickers on the weekend. Hanks, 
Smith, Clayton Bailey and Heath were named among their best players. So a good result for the Casey Demons, but as you said, a little bit worrying now for the Northern Territory Thunder where they go from here. On Sunday morning at Princess Park, uh, Carlton took on Wimstown in a very fiery clash. A lot of pushing and shoving. Um, we couldn't spot who the Wimstown player was, but they originally got stuck into one of the Hosking sisters. And in came Madison Press Park, as third person in to jump on. And all of a sudden, it was a dozen players from out of nowhere getting stuck into a fight. And then uh, Madison Press Park has got in another fracas with two minutes to go before the final siren. It was a pretty spiteful affair between the two sides. Uh, the scoreboard indicates a large margin at the end, but it was actually fairly close for most of the game. Carlton's uh, AFLW-listed players helping uh, steer it away in the final quarter. Carlton, 9-5-59 over Williamstown, 4-2-26. Yeah, again, from, from your comments and from the way the scoreline reads, it's, it's encouraging for Williamstown, even though, yes, okay, they've, they've been uh, battered a little bit on the scoreboard from the weekend. Um I, I think you take encouragement out of it, though, that, that they were able to match it around the contest, um, which is just what they've got to keep on doing. They, they, they're not a, a side that's stacked with, with talent. Again, similar to Essendon, they, they've been forced to develop local footy talent and, and try and get success on the run um, and, and build the foundation for the future. I think you've just got to be positive that they were able to match it against a side that has really struggled in 2019 particularly when they've got AFLW talent. They've had a consistent layer of AFLW talent in the side all year. And whether I wonder whether the VFLW-listed players maybe aren't being as accountable and, and maybe getting a bit starry-eyed in a way, letting the AFLW-listed players dominate and, and do most of the work. Um, I just wonder, you know, you, you look at the, the names that, and mentioned amongst their best. You've obviously got Hosking, uh, Plain, Woods. There are a couple of familiar names there. Wright, uh, Prins and Nelson were, were named amongst the best players as well. The goal kickers for Carlton on the weekend. Jess Hosking kicked three. Dalton kicked two. Gurr, Prisparkas, Kubish and Stevens were their goal kickers on the weekend. So again, mostly AFLW experienced players uh, there for, for Carlton. So I just wonder whether their bottom six are, are as strong as what they need to be or accepting the responsibility that they need to, which is maybe why Carlton have had such a poor season. But Williamstown, their goal kickers, Whiting, Hope, Kawa and Anderson were their uh, goal kickers for the weekend. Pedersen, Williamson, Stratford, Chipote, Porter and Melnickus were their better players on the weekend. We go to Box Hill City Oval for an arm wrestle between Hawthorne and Richmond, and it's the Hawks that came out on top, 7-9-51, defeating Richmond 6-2-38. For the Richmond Tigers, that's now three losses in a row after a six-and-zip start. Yeah, and a bit of a gap now forming at the top of the table too. They sit in third, but now a couple of games behind after a really dominant start to the season. I just wonder whether they're trialling a few different things, Richmond, uh, at this stage of the season. I know you're probably aiming for a bit of success and momentum heading into your first AFLW season, but I wonder whether um, Tommy Hunter, since he's got that senior coaching role officially rubber stamped, whether he's just testing the versatility of his side and plans B, C and and D um, prior to getting probably a month out before finals before you have to uh, get on a bit of a roll. But Hawthorne, uh, to them, 
I, I said that last week during uh, this segment, Pete, that they really needed to win and almost make a statement on the weekend. And they almost did that. I, I won't say it's a convincing statement or a convincing victory, but they did enough um, to, to just keep the season alive. Yes, okay, they, they sit they sit fifth. They're, they're two points uh, thanks to the draw ahead of Melbourne University in the pack chasing the top six as it stands. But they haven't had a very convincing season. So they really need over the next month to make some big uh, statements on the park in terms of getting results, getting big victories on the board. And they started that on the weekend against Richmond, who have been one of the top sides of the competition. B.B. McWilliams returning to form, kicked four goals on the weekend. Dylan kicked two and Sarah Perkins also contributed on the scoreboard. McWilliams, Dylan and Perkins were named amongst their best players, as were Beeson, Diet and Bevan. For Richmond, Frederick kicked two goals. Wakefield, McEwart shot. Egan and Seymour were their goal kickers on the weekend. Frederick was also named amongst their better players. Miller, Egan, Campbell, Frank Catasano and Seymour were also solid in the Tigers' loss on the weekend. But uh, it certainly makes things interesting at the top of the table with Richmond just starting to fall away. The Western Bulldogs in that similar sort of category. Hawthorne starting to click. Melbourne University starting to click. And you've also got Geelong just waiting in the wings. And in the final game of the round, the Southern Saints, 5-6-36, defeated the Western Bulldogs, 3-3-21. Yeah, Southern Saints needed this after a pretty poor performance a week ago um, to get wiped off the park the way that they did. Um, close game, tight contest. We're probably expecting that in, in a little bit. The Western Bulldogs needed uh, just to, to remain competitive. They've been up and down a bit this season, um, but they seem to have done enough. They had a few handy players back on the weekend as well. Ellie Blackburn kicked a goal. Uh, Celine Moody and Michaela Ward. Uh, were their goal kickers on the weekend. McLeod, Hunt, Lamb, Ferris, Lofi and Ward were their better players. For the Southern Saints, Greiser kicked three goals on the weekend. Bohanna and Brown, their other goal kickers. Greiser, Johnston, Guthridge, Shearlaw, Fitzpatrick and Watt were named amongst their best players. Southern Saints, they just needed to straighten up, as I said, after a poor performance against Geelong the week prior um, just to straighten up and get the good result for the Western Bulldogs. They they remain in touch. That they're, they're competitive enough to hold the top side of the competition fairly close. They just need to get some consistency into their season. And Geelong Cats had the bye to finish off round eleven. Let's have a look ahead to round twelve. Who plays who and the permutations of that? We talk about Essendon being a mathematical chance to make the top six, however unlikely it may be. It does that case gets a little bit of a help on the Saturday at eleven thirty AM at Downer Oval. Essendon take on the bottom side, Williamstown. Can the Bombers win this one and all of a sudden just throw the cat amongst the pigeons? Well, I was just having a quick flick through to see Essendon's run home. Um, they play Williamstown twice in the next five weeks. They play them this weekend at Downer Oval, and then they play them again at Windy Hill in the final round of the home and away season. So that's a that could be, well, not a gift, because Williamstown have been fairly competitive. I actually think this is going to be a very, very good game. I think Williamstown will set themselves. They'll know they're within reach of a potential victory. 
and might be hoping that they will be able to record it. Essendon need to prove that they are a better side than being one of the bottom three sides of the competition, um, or bottom four, I should say. They're currently fourth from the bottom. Um, so I think they should come out this weekend, given that their recent score lines, they should be able to put Williamstown away. But I'm giving the Seagulls a little bit of optimism. I think they can really push Essendon down at Oval this weekend. 11.50am at Arden Street Oval on the Saturday. It's Melbourne University versus Carlton. This is 6th versus 11th. On current form, you'd have to suggest Melbourne University. They seem to be a more superior side. They've found that consistency that they seem to lack in the first couple of months of the home and away season. Carlton, as I was saying before, I'm scratching my head as to, to how their season, well, how they've ended up third from the bottom this season with just the two wins so far and a draw to their name. Um, Melbourne University, they should win this. They should win it quite comfortably. Um, around five goals I'm tipping, but for Carlton, you just want them to be competitive and, and, and putting on a good showing against a fellow AFLW club. On Saturday, 12pm at Bill Laurie Oval, uh, this game being broadcast by GoFooty.Live from 11am, and you'll hear it also through RSN Carnival 2 and WARFradio.com. Uh, it's the Darabin Falcons versus the Geelong Cats. This is 12th versus 8th. How much do we read the Geelong Cats AFL men's side form coming out of the bye? Um, and how does that impact the Geelong VFLW side, given that in a similar time frame last year when the Cats took on the Western Bulldogs up at Mars Stadium, after being fairly solid, the Bulldogs wiped them off the park coming off the bye. Um don't think Darabin would be able to cause a demolition job, but, geez, the Cats want to be switched on because they are one of those sides in the pack. They currently are level on points with Melbourne University, but a fair percentage behind them. So they really need to win on the weekend and win quite comfortably. Um, and I think they should be able to do that despite Darabin being fairly impressive in the last month. Um, given the start to the season and, and we know the, the off-field issues that they've had in terms of list turnover and having to regenerate the, the club with uh, youth and, and inexperience. So they should be competitive, Darabin, but I'm tipping Geelong. Saturday, 2pm at Mars Stadium in Ballarat, a classic eight-point battle, fourth versus seventh, the Western Bulldogs versus the NT Thunder. Well, it's a simple equation. The, the Western Bulldogs, they need a wing to keep that gap from the, the, the teams chasing them uh, in the bottom end of the top six. And the Northern Territory Thunder, they need to win to stay in contention for a spot inside the top six as well. So both sides should, in theory, be coming to the ground um, fairly switched on, looking for victory, hungry, desperate for the footy. It should create a really good contest. Given it's in Ballarat, I'm going to lean the way of the Western Bulldogs. I'm not sure what the weather forecast is for Saturday, but I'd be nervous uh, based on the last few weekends where we've had a bit of wind and a couple of weeks ago, the rain and the hail. If we get something similar to that, then the Bulldogs should be able to scrap it out because we know the Northern Territory Thunder, they do like a, a dry track. Having said that, if they do get that at Mars Stadium, then I think they're a chance. But I'm going to lean the way of the Western Bulldogs. 
Now we have third versus first. Sunday, 11am at the Swinburne Centre, Punt Road Oval. Richmond versus Collingwood. Based on current form, Collingwood should win this by probably two or three goals. Um, I think they are, well, the fact that they're sitting a game clear on top of the ladder, um, to me, suggests that they're the dominant side of the competition at the moment. Richmond, they've fallen off the pace. As I said, I wonder whether they're just trialling a few different things and depending on the, the side that they put on out onto the park on the weekend, whether they get a few more uh, AFLW experienced players back in the lineup uh, will depend on the result, how the result will pan out. But I definitely think Collingwood are favourites to win this game. And the final game of the round, Sunday, 28th of July, 2.40pm, bounce down. We're live on air at 2pm on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and the VFL app at Sandringham. It's the Southern Saints versus the Casey Demons. Now, on paper, this is second versus ninth. But considering what Casey did to the NT Thunder, well, this could be closer than the latter suggests. And the Southern Saints, I feel, are just going at the moment. Uh, they just got over the line against the Western Bulldogs, got blown off the park against the Cats. So this is really an opportunity for Casey to get some revenge because off the top of my head, Pete, I've got a feeling Saints did a number on them a little earlier in the season. Yeah, it was a case, out of Casey Fields. It was a case of Casey led for most of the game and then I think late in the final quarter, the Saints kicked two quick goals and, and pinched the victory. And the Demons will be desperate to get back in touch with that pack chasing the top six. As I said earlier, they're a game behind the Cats, Thunder and Melbourne University at the moment on the ladder. The Southern Saints, they're a game behind Collingwood, but that top two spot looks fairly cemented. Um, So I just wonder whether Casey might be a little hungrier and whether Peter Searle can actually get her side up and get refocused a little bit to start playing the brand of footy that we know they can. I'm going to tip the Southern Saints, but I think this is going to be a close one. I think it'll be under a goal, the margin. And that just about concludes things for another week for Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. This program is available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football. This program airs every Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival, which is digital radio in Melbourne via the rsn.net.au website and the RSN Racing and Sport app. Just click on Carnival. Don't forget this weekend on RSN Carnival 2 and via WARFradio.com, we present on Saturday... Darabin versus Geelong from 11am. And then on Sunday from 2pm, we present the match Southern Saints versus Casey Demons at Trevor Barker Beach Oval in Sandringham. Two big games this weekend on RSN Carnival 2, WARFradio.com and also via the VFL app. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.